Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today we're celebrating both National Hot Tea Month and National Shortbread Day with a unique cookie that combines the two, Earl Grey Shortbread. We'll also review our peanut butter pie and take a look at some hot new food trends. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, we have been talking a lot about our New Year's baking resolutions, and I had a preheated resolution I wanted to run past you. Okay, I'm ready. So this holiday, I was talking to loyal listener Lauren, my niece. Hi, Lauren. And she said, do you have a list of your favorite episodes? And I thought, well, they're all my favorite, Lauren, but <laughs> I thought that might be a really good exercise for you and I to have on our webpage or other places if people ask, you know, what are the top 10 episodes? If I were just going to start listening right now, what would you direct people to? I thought it was really an interesting idea. That is a great idea. And I think that's one too where we could get some um, listeners to tell us if they have any favorite episodes that we could recommend. Yep, absolutely. So I thought that was a great suggestion and one for the preheated baking resolutions for 2018. So we'll keep you guys posted on when we compile our lists and putting that together. Yes, thank you, Lauren. That's a great suggestion. Speaking of our listeners, I wanted to give a shout out to some beautiful cookie jars that popped up on our Facebook group this week. So listener Brenda posted two photos uh, from her parents, and these are beautiful vintage cookie jars. So if you haven't visited our Facebook group lately, please go over there and take a visit. We also had listener Antone post a picture of one that he recalls fondly from his childhood, and he tagged, I believe, a family member and asked her what happened to it, and she said she gave it away. I know. (laughs) I started getting a little anxious. I was checking the Facebook group every couple of minutes for a while, thinking, oh my gosh, are we about to have a family drama breakout here? But it appears that whatever conversation ensued, they took it offline, so... (laughs) They took it out of the Facebook community there. So, oh, yeah. Yes. So listeners, uh, we would love to continue to see any pictures of your cookie jars and uh, just any family drama. Feel free to uh, include us in that as well because it was sort of fun. Well, speaking of family and things that family members love, we did our peanut butter pie this week from blog kevinandamanda.com. Kevin and Amanda have a food and travel blog. And last episode when we introduced this in episode 59, Andrea, I shared with you that I have very strong feelings about peanut butter pie because I don't feel the peanut butter pie filling should have cream cheese incorporated, which many, many do. I just want my peanut butter and in this case, my chocolate crust. So this was a no-bake pie featuring an oreo cookie crumb crust that you crush up with some butter a very thick peanut butter filling that was basically peanut butter and confectioner sugar and then a simple ganache topping of chocolate chips and whipping cream 
Andrea, how did it go for you? I planned to make this for a group activity. So I already knew that I, a pie shape was not going to work well because I had about 24 people to feed. And Kevin and Amanda do say in their instructions that this also works really well in an eight by eight pan and you can cut it up into bars. So um, I already had decided it was gonna be a peanut butter bar recipe as opposed to a pie, but that's not a really big change. And then I had gone to the grocery store, I had all my ingredients, and literally moments before I started baking, I got an email from the organizer who said, just a reminder, no nuts. Well, there goes your peanut butter pie. <laughs> oh no. There goes my peanut butter pie. So I was sort of rereading the recipe, thinking, okay, what can I do here? I probably should just ditch this. And I noticed right toward the end of the recipe, she made the comment that um, this also would be good with Biscoff cookies. And uh, as you know, my pantry is just so clean and organized because of my New Year's resolution to keep my pantry clean and organized. I immediately thought of the fact that I had unearthed an unopened jar of the Biscoff cookie butter. Oh, that's like the gold at the end of the rainbow. It is. It is. And so I thought, oh, this is perfect. I, instead of peanut butter, I'll use the Biscoff cookie butter. And then as I was starting to get ready to make it, I, for some reason, I decided that the Biscoff cookie butter and the Oreos might not be the best combination. I, okay. I don't know why I felt that way. I just, you know, I just thought those two flavors might not mix well together. I'm sure they'd be absolutely fine. But I went ahead and did, um, I substituted Biscoff cookie butter for the peanut butter, and then I substituted Biscoff cookies for the Oreos. So I ended up making what I'm going to call a Biscoff cookie butter pie. <laughs> and um, it turned out really, really good. So I have no complaints about my substitutions, but I did have a little problem and I wanted to run it by you and the listeners to see if you have any suggestions for the next time I make this. Okay. The crust in the original recipe is one 14 ounce package of whole Oreos that you grind up in your food processor and then mix with eight tablespoons or a stick of melted butter. You know, kind of your typical, kind of in my mind, graham cracker crust. Yes. So I did the same thing, but I used the Biscoff cookies and each package of Biscoff cookies was seven ounces. So it was perfect. It was two packages for 14 ounces and then the stick of butter. And I pressed it into the bottom of my eight by eight pan. I used a nice glass jar to really press it in hard and I froze it for a good long time. I mean, I think it says 20 minutes. I was doing this between other things. So I think I ended up freezing it for about two hours. And when it came time to cut my bars, that crust just was very crumbly. So it kept falling away, you know, as you would lift a piece to put it in your mouth or okay. um, it just didn't stay together. And I started thinking about it and I wondered, you know, a package of Oreos is not just wafers. It also has that. It's got the cream. That cream. And so I wonder if the cream sort of makes it stick together better. And without the cream, I wonder if I should have increased my butter, decreased my butter, added something else in. I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts off the top of your head? I do because mine didn't have that issue. So I'm going to guess that the additional fat found in the Oreo cream part helped that stick together. In fact, my crust was pretty dense. I didn't have crumbling issues. Okay. And I guess if I were going to do another cookie, be it a graham cracker or a Biscoff cookie, I would increase that butter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I okay. bet that's what it was because although it's crushed up pretty finely, you can still kind of see the 
the creamy part. But it, you're right. You're not just like using um, a chalk. What are those called? Famous chocolate wafer. Yes. That sometimes are called for. Yeah. I bet. I bet that's it. So. Okay. Well, next time I'll do that. the The other small modification that I made um, in the recipe from Kevin and Amanda when they make the chocolate ganache, which is a cup of chocolate chips and a half a cup of heavy whipping cream, obviously you heat the cream and then put the chips in and melt those down. They also add in two tablespoons of the peanut butter. Mm -hmm. Um, I decided since I already had Biscoff cookie crust and Biscoff cookie butter that to do the third layer with Biscoff was just going to be overkill. So my ganache layer was just chocolate and whipping cream. I thought it turned out really well. I used a very dark, bitter chocolate chip that I have been loving. It's from Equal Exchange. It's good for people who have uh, dairy allergies. It's dairy-free. And I think it's probably around 80 or 85% cocoa. And when I gave it to my husband to try, he immediately said, well, the chocolate really overwhelms the other flavors. Okay. And I don't know... Uh, of course, I got defensive right away and said something very <laughs> mature like, well, you just don't like chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> Which is true. He's not a huge chocolate fan, but I think he might be right. I think I might need to back off on the bittersweet intensity level on that just so that yeah. it, it doesn't overwhelm. I, I think of Biscoff as a strong spice, but I think it is a little bit subtle and you, you do want it to come through. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I'm really pleased with your variations. It's reminding me that over the holidays, we had listener Amy, who made our Biscoff pie from, what was that, episode 16 back during pie camp last February. Yes. And it was a beautiful Biscoff pie. So you can look that up on uh, our Facebook page if you scroll back a, a little bit, listeners. But um, it was gorgeous and so exciting to see someone, you know, go through the archives and, and choose something for their holiday meal, too. So I was so impressed with her Biscoff pie i thought her yep. piping was beautiful oh my and god yes. i thought her addition of the red and green sprinkles was gorgeous i just i could not have been more impressed with her so yes yep. big um hand clap to amy that was awesome it was uh well i followed the recipe to the letter because as you know i'm an upholder <laughs> <laughs> and how did it turn out <laughs> It turned out great. Um, Andrea, though, you know what's funny is last episode in episode 59, we talked about uh, the 12 kitchen mistakes. Yes. And one of them was you don't read the comments, or that's the one we kind of added in there. Yes. And I did not read the comment that you could make this in a 8 by 8 and that was my biggest takeaway, that as a pie, this was too rich. Oh. As like, a, if you think of just a triangle of mm-hmm. pie, it was too much. My son was the only one who finished it, which is not surprising. <laughs> but the rest of us, and we had we had some extended family here, and it was it was delicious, but it was too much. And so I thought to myself, you know, these would be perfect in more of a bite-sized bar. And so shame on me for not realizing I could have. I could have done that. So um, this was exactly the flavors I wanted. It is like a homemade peanut butter cup or a Buckeye. And there is nothing wrong with that. It just was too much for for my family and my tastes. Yeah. Uh, You know, you would have to have had just the thinnest tiny sliver and at that point you've kind of defeated the purpose of it being a pie in my opinion so well and to give you an idea of how rich this dessert is I did do the 8x8 pan and I put the parchment in first and so it it popped out quite easily and um, I had chilled it for several hours in the refrigerator I pulled it 
out of the refrigerator. It was rock solid. I let it come to room temperature and then I sliced it into 48 little pieces. So I did, you know, eight slices on one side and six on the other. So they weren't perfect squares, but um, that was, I thought the perfect bite-sized amount because it is a very rich dessert. 48. And see, I got eight pieces yeah. of pie. So you can- <laughs> Right. We were eating the equivalent of eight. You know what this reminded me of, Stefan, was Nanaimo bars. Okay, I could see that, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something that I'm going to kind of tuck away in my head too, that maybe one day I would love for us to make Nanaimo bars. That's for listeners who've never heard of that. That is a, I think of it as a sort of Seattle specialty, even though Nanaimo is an island in Canada, I believe. So, but it, it is just a rich, decadent little bar with a, per, I just think it's a perfect bite-sized dessert. I've eaten Nanaimo bars in Nanaimo. Oh. Yeah, they're, but I've never made them. They're delicious. I think they have like coconut and nuts and maybe oats in them as well. Yes. They're, they're delicious. And, you know, it reminds me of that, this pie too, in that it's a very pretty pie to look at because the layers, you have the, the dark chocolate on the bottom and then that nice, nice, almost kind of dark khaki color of the peanut butter and then another chocolate layer on top so I think it works very very visually it was you know certainly wonderful easy to to make easy to come together the flavors everyone liked I just would say bite size is the way to go here okay good learning there yeah what's up next well, that was just a quick shout out to kevinandamanda.com again for providing that recipe so oh, thanks yes to them yeah so up next, Andrea, hard to believe we didn't know that this month was also uh, National Shortbread and National Hot Tea Celebrations. And so <laughs> once again, we have combined our celebrations into one recipe, and it is an Earl Grey shortbread. So a shortbread being a, a very kind of basic, delicious, very rich, buttery cookie. This has the addition of Earl Grey tea leaves, as well as a, a lot of vanilla. So Andrea, do I remember correctly that when you were here in London and we went to tea, did you have Earl Grey tea at, at tea time? Huh. That's a good question. I I don't tend to get Earl Grey in the morning. I tend to go with either English breakfast or Irish breakfast. I like just that dark black tea. But we had tea in the afternoon, so it is highly possible that I ordered an Earl Grey in the afternoon. Okay, so for those listeners who don't know, Earl Grey is a black tea, but it has the additional essence of bergamot which is a citrus essence and for any star trek the next generation lovers of course this is jean-luc picard's tea of choice earl gray tea so there you go uh tip of the hat to tng um i'm excited shortbread is not a cookie i make a lot although i do like it and i'm looking forward to um to this it, it almost seems this recipe like a bit of a palate cleanser to me especially after that peanut butter pie yes and i'm hoping i'm hoping that it's just a, a real delight to make and it's called actually it's called london fog shortbread uh from a blog called oleander and palm.com and uh that's a drink actually um andrea have you had that drink it's tea and and milk it's kind of like a tea latte i guess it would be yes i get london fogs quite often when i'm getting tired of coffee and i think of it as a vanilla chai latte and i love it yeah there you go Mm -hmm. there you go i'm excited about this recipe for two reasons one i have never made shortbread okay okay (laughs) i i think i know and here's the reason is i am always so horrified by the amount of butter it is (laughs) 
I, I have no problem eating it, but I just prefer not to see how much butter goes into it. So I'm going to overcome that uh, aversion, obviously, to make this. And then number two, I have a small tea and chocolate store in my town called Encore Tea and Chocolates. And I'm going to go there to get the Earl Grey because um, careful listeners will probably note that when Stefan does the intro to our show, she says, put the kettle on. But when I do the intro to our show, I say, grab yourself a cup of coffee because <laughs> she is the tea drinker and I am the coffee drinker. Yep. And so I don't, I don't want, you know, a box of, you know, 15 or 20 bags of Earl Grey tea because I think it would take me a long time to go through that. So I'm, I'm going to pop into the store and just try and get a little bit of loose Earl Grey, just like I would go to the spice store and get, you know, a couple of tablespoons of loose spices. I did want to point out to listeners who are going to bake along with us on this one, um, I did read the comments, pat myself on the back there, and several people were confused by her instruction, um, which is add the vanilla, vanilla bean, and the tea. And people were like, am I supposed to brew the tea first? Am I, you know, and it does mean add the actual tea leaves. So you are not brewing tea. You are taking, so if you buy it in bags, you're cutting those bags open and you're getting the loose leaves out Mm -hmm. or you're buying your loose tea and using the actual tea leaves. So I just wanted to point that out to people if they were confused about that when they bake along with us. Yeah, that's a good point. And also just a note to really read this recipe carefully. Uh, You're chilling the dough at least twice, once after you make the dough but then again after you cut out the cookies you're sticking that back in the fridge to chill before you bake it so just note that although the it's it's very simple looking recipe there are a few steps that you might not otherwise be taking with a traditional cookie yeah good reminder that is the london fog shortbread from oleander and palm.com and we hope you bake along with us oh also you know what there's no egg this is if you're not an egg person there's no egg in this recipe so oh okay good yeah, absolutely. Well, Andrea, it's uh, kind of the middle of 2018. We're off to a roaring start in the new year, and we thought we would talk about some hot food trends. You know, we've we've seen all these food trends. There was, of course, uh, cupcakes were a trend, or the cronut, or all of these things that someone from on high deems to be the hot, the hot new food. Yes. And so we thought we would. <laughs> We oh we preheated. We like to be on the cutting edge. Let's you know make no mistake about it. So what's funny is. Here, um, listeners will know, and Andrea has 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 visited with me, but my uh, favorite grocery store is Waitrose, and they published their 2018 food trend report, and they really focused a lot on uh, cooking and savory food, but I thought it was interesting anyway. So in 2018, uh, they say that both Japanese food and Indian street food will be very, very popular. Two of my favorites. <laughs> yes, Plant-based protein, so getting away from maybe a meat uh, or dairy-based protein into things more like um, beans or or tofu. Um, Good news for everyone, eating four meals a day will be the trend in 2018. (laughs) So hooray for that. I guess I've been on trend for a while. I'm guessing they're assuming those meals would be smaller (laughs) than were you to eat three. Yes. (laughs) So... 
Uh, and then I found another um, source called the International Taste Solution. Wouldn't I love to work for them? And their predictions for 2018 is that we will move more into a more natural and organic kind of everything. So people will really be seeking out natural and organic. Um, also functional foods, Andrea, such as treats that have some kind of additional hydration or protein. And it was reminding me of when we talked about your protein bites that you take on your bike trips back in August. I think we were talking about those. Yeah. Yeah. I make those a lot. Um, and those are handy. I mean, I, they ended up not working well on the bike trip because they need refrigeration, but I love to just keep them in my fridge for a quick grab if you need something and you want a quick blast of protein and a little bit of sugar. And um, yeah, they're really good. And then the last one was uh, floral flavors are really going to be popular flavors. And I guess the only real floral flavor I am familiar with is rose, like rose water. That those That is delicious. I've uh, been buying a rose jam here in England. That is fantastic. Glad I'm ahead of that trend. Um, did you come across any, Andrea? I did. I, I had a quick question, though, on the rose water because I've been meaning to ask you this for months and I had kept forgetting. When you moved to London, you cleaned your pantry out in Seattle and you were kind enough to send me any of your unopened you know, spices or other baking things that you thought I might find handy. Yeah. And you sent me two bottles of rose water. Mm. <laughs> and I I remember <laughs> when I, I opened that, I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. I've never used rose water. And not only does she have one bottle, she has two bottles. So she must mm. really use this a lot. So what's the story on the rose water? So the story on the rose water, and first of all, can I just say, I'm so thrilled you brought this up because for those months I have been kind of in this anxious knot about asking you if you got that package because I, I was like two days before I left and I like put it in the padded envelope and I'm like crossing my fingers that the rose water didn't like split. And so I'm so glad it made it to you. Oh no, it, it was perfect. All right. Okay, so last January, January 2017, we um, I challenged myself to making baklava. And in advance of that, before I really knew which baklava recipe I was going to make, I bought the rose water because oftentimes recipes call for a rose water. And it turns out the recipe I used and loved did not. And so then I just had it. Oh, and it was one of those things. Okay. I was kind of trolling Amazon. It was a twofer package type of a thing. So, um, but now you have it and you are going to be at the forefront of 2018 food trends, apparently. Well, I, you know, what's interesting about both the rose water and your comment about, um, you know, the, the plant-based protein and the world foods is when you send me clippings from your grocery store magazines and mm -hmm. circulars and, you know, the London Times newspaper and stuff, the food looks so different to me. And I think the one that really jumped out at me recently was like a beet caraway loaf. Mm, mm -hmm. um, it was adorable, but I just thought, wow, this is so different than how I think about cooking in the U.S. And it could be that it's very common here and I just haven't been paying attention, but I noticed my sweet cookbook from Otolenghi. 
he uh, or she, the, the baker is woman, um, also has a lot of things using beets, using rose water, using ingredients that I wouldn't think of using in baking. Yeah, and I think it's beet and cardamom because cardamom is You're so right. popular here. And that's, I think, and I'm not an expert by any means, but I believe you can trace those type of spices to the the influence and the history with India and Indian cooking. I think you're and right. cardamom, I love it. They put it in mm-hmm. a lots of savories, but then you also see it just kind of alongside your like cinnamon, ginger, cloves, nutmeg. Then they'll throw cardamom in there too, and that's okay. not something that I think in the states. I'm not sure I ever really used it. I use it in my Indian curries, yeah, right. but I've never used it in right, baking. Right, right, okay. So I, I am excited about that. Good. Um, so that's something I definitely want to look into. I wanted to comment, too, on the plant-based protein. I have been experimenting with this a little bit with ice cream. Oh. So um, I actually got a book for myself for Christmas that I think is called Vegan a la Mode. <laughs> and so it is all sorts of uh, plant-based ice cream recipes. I got on this kick Shortly after a visit to Seattle, I went to a place in Westlake Center. I believe it's called Pure or something like that. And it's frozen yogurt in terms of texture and look, but it's plant-based non-dairy. Okay. And it was really good. Shortly after that, my husband went to a dinner in Seattle with uh, listener Craig, who we interviewed with back on episode 11. And when they left the restaurant, they were on Capitol Hill, they left the restaurant and they were looking for an ice cream place. And my husband said, oh, look, there's one right there. And they walked in. It was called, I think, Frankie and Joe's. And it is all plant-based ice cream. And they ate it and raved about it. They said it was the best ice cream they've ever had. Whoa. I'll post some links to this place in our show notes. Um, I have tried to find the recipe. Of course, the owners wisely are not publishing the recipe for their plant-based ice cream, but it does sound like they use coconut milk, which is the traditional replacement for regular milk. But I also saw them saying they use things like nutritional yeast. They use activated charcoal. They have just all of these really interesting things. So that really got my mind working about ways to make plant-based ice cream. And it's really funny. I was following sort of all of these vegan recipes and everything that I was doing was turning out okay, but not great. You know, not like, oh my gosh, this is the best ice cream I've ever had. Right. And meanwhile, listener Craig is just knocking it out of the park. Every time he's giving me ice cream, it's like the best ice cream I ever had. And so finally I said, what recipe are you using? And he said, the one that came with the Cuisinart ice cream maker. (laughs) Ah, I have that somewhere. I know. And I just thought this was so fascinating. So what he has done is he takes the Cuisinart ice cream maker recipe and any place they call for heavy whipping cream, he replaces it with coconut cream. And any place they call for um, whole milk, he replaces it with coconut milk. And that's it. Otherwise, he follows the recipe. And so, and he's not doing the custard-based ones. He's doing the ones that don't include eggs. And it, it has that creamy mouthfeel that I have not yet been able to achieve. So I just want to let you know, this is going to be one of my projects for 2018. I really, <laughs> I really want to get a good 
homemade plant-based ice cream. So listeners, if you have any suggestions on that, I would love to hear it. And I'm going to keep working on it on my end. I'm going to go find that Cuisinart cookbook online. I'm sure it exists out there. Yeah, and if you can't find it, I'm pretty sure I brought it with me because I did bring my ice cream machine. Oh, and you're one of those good... See, I throw away all those booklets as soon as I get a a device or... Yeah, I just get rid of all that stuff, which I've never even looked at the booklets that come with the appliance. I never have to because my husband's hidden talent is reading manuals. He (laughs) loves reading manuals. He gets like a thrill out of reading manuals. And so I'm just... I just pass it to him. He reads it. He absorbs it. And then I'll be like why is the blah 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 setting not working? And then he'll just regurgitate the information for me. It's fabulous. Oh, I love that. But you know what else, Andrea? We made a coconut milk ice cream last June during ice cream month. And it was one of my favorites. It was that spicy peanut butter ice cream uh, with a coconut milk base. So don't forget, that was really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I do have one, one good alternative under my belt. The two trends that I saw when I was looking into food trends that I think are interesting to me, one was called alt-sweet, which means finding other ways to sweeten your food other than sugar. So I think this is a trend that's already started, but it appears to be continuing. And it reminded me of our agave chocolate ice cream that we made back in episode 31. That was from David Leibovitz. And has got to be one of my top 10 that we made last year. Mm -hmm. You know, it was Mm -hmm. just delicious. It was really good. So I'm kind of interested with experimenting with that. I don't like fake sweeteners. You know, I don't like Mm -hmm. cooking with, you know, sweet and low, or I'm even hesitant to do something like stevia. Uh, But uh, but I'm okay trying things like agave or honey. You know, I, I like doing that sort of stuff. The other trend that was mentioned that piqued my interest was traditional bread is making a comeback. So it said, yes, it said that uh, although, of course, there's been a huge trend toward gluten-free bread, there also seems to be an equal and opposite trend towards (laughs) traditional bread. And I just love uh, bread and traditional bread and making it, eating it. So I'm going to jump right on the bandwagon on that particular food trend. Yeah, and that was one of my 2018 baking resolutions. Andrea, we are just always at the cutting edge. (laughs) I love it. And speaking of bread, listeners, Stefan and I are planning our show sheets for the year, and we're taking a look at the month of March, and we're tossing around some ideas about what our theme will be. We've talked about a bread month, so that's something that we're rolling around in our heads. We've also talked about doing a month of childhood favorites, where we go back in time and find the recipes that perhaps our parents or grandparents made for us and try to recreate those. And we'd be interested if you have any suggestions for our theme for March. So I'll post a poll on our Facebook group, Preheated. And when you have a moment, go in and vote for a choice or feel free to write in your own suggestion. If you have a theme you've been really wanting to explore that you think would fit well in March, we would like to hear from you. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. Next week, we'll celebrate National Chocolate Cake Day with an easy, award-winning, one-bowl, no-icing-needed chocolate bunt that ticks all of my co-hosts' boxes. We'll also review our shortbread, and the Globetrotting Gourmet will report on a recent trip to Morocco. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook and Pinterest. 
If you like our show, please tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us wherever you download our podcast. That really helps other people find us. And speaking of reviews, Andrea, I have to give a shout out to a new one from someone calling themselves Cranberry Tart. And Cranberry Tart says, fave podcast, five stars. Wow, I just love this podcast. I'm going to college next year and I'm trying to learn how to take care of myself without my mom. Stefan and Andrea have great tips both in and out of the kitchen. The Facebook community is so supportive and a nice escape from the occasionally toxic outside world. Great job, five exclamation points. Oh, isn't that so nice? Oh, I love that review. Thank you, Cranberry Tart. Thank you, Cranberry Tart. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.